0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast. The first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome to Political Pharmacist Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Geyer. And with me today, I have three students from Wayne State University up there in the greater Detroit area. I want to introduce them. They all have kind of like different titles, and, but they all are students there. There's Joseph Paul Javier. He kind of represents up to us, Wayne State University. He's their executive director. Daniel Frederick, he's the Kappa Psi regent there at the uh, chapter of Muama Kram Pai for Kappa Psi. And Hussein Safawi. he represents the Student National Pharmaceutical Association up there, or SNAFA for short. So, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Welcome, Eric. Thank you for having us. Jack. Thanks for having us, Eric.
0: Yeah, well, hey, the pleasure is all mine because you guys actually have done just a bang-up job up there, kind of – Dovetailing pharmacy and politics in a way that's really pretty much bipartisan I really like what you guys are doing which is why I wanted you on here because you guys actually won a competition Uh, Joseph you were supposed to speak first. Can you kind of explain the name of that and what that competition is?
1: So uh, this is our second year in the up to us competition It's a nationwide competition where colleges and universities from all across the u.s. Try to raise awareness about the increasing national debt and uh, us being pharmacy students um, we spun the competition. There are different tracks and uh, uh, ways that you can participate in the competition. So it's not just purely policy or economics, but we're relating it to healthcare as uh, the national debt, one of the major drivers of the debt is healthcare and uh, spending by the government and by citizens um, with healthcare issues. So we've been um, working hard this semester. We won the competition last uh, spring cohort for our virtual campaign during the COVID crisis or the beginning of the COVID pandemic where we taught the community about the economic impact of COVID-19 as well as how to uh, stop the transmission of the virus and flatten the curve. This semester we're in the competition and uh, currently we are one of the top teams. We recently won most creative competition um, execution but uh, the competition will go on until next semester. So we'll be competing against other schools that join the next semester cohort. But this year, we're focusing on policy, policymaking, encouraging students to be civically engaged, as well as policy that's related to pharmacy as a profession, uh, better healthcare outcomes, and the lowering of prescription costs, uh, the lowering of costs of prescription medications to make uh, medications accessible to more citizens.
0: Yeah. And so obviously, you guys have hit on a few different topics. You guys are pretty well recognized for what you do here with this, which is awesome. And I'm glad it's not like a, a one-time thing. You guys just keep pushing with this because healthcare is like such a cornerstone of our economy in general. And you, the national debt's a huge topic no matter what side of the aisle you're on. We talk about spending limits and stuff like that. Can you kind of talk about the current status of the national debt and maybe how healthcare kind of plays into that to some extent?
1: Well, Eric, currently the national debt is over $27 trillion dollars which translates to about $83,000 um, per U.S. citizen. And the top drivers, like I said before, the national debt are paying interest on the debt, social security, war, and defense, and rounding that out is expenditure on healthcare. If we fail to address you know, the national debt, the federal government will have much harder time investing in priorities that drive economic growth like healthcare. Here's a quick statistic. In 2020, America's national debt has quickly grown from $23 trillion to $27 trillion. It's a lot of that recently has been in response to COVID-19 or has to do with uh, the expenditures for COVID-19. So uh, that's what our, our uh, campaign is focusing on. Since pharmacists are you know, easily accessible, the most accessible healthcare provider for Americans, we want to relate that with what we're studying in school and our future uh, work as pharmacists and how policy and getting people involved and um, preventing sickness. So rather than focusing on sick care we want to focus on health care and the tagline of our competition this year uh, our campaign this year is actually a healthy economy begins with healthy citizens
0: yeah. And that's so true because when you're talking about, you know, when people get sick, they miss work or they're not as productive. That's proven. I, it depends on the job and as to how much that costs and things like that, but it's a hundred percent proven. And we're also seeing that, you know, if someone is sick and can't work, then obviously they can't pay taxes or they're not making as much money. Never mind productivity yeah. that goes into the economy, all those other things. And then you add to that, that when people do get sick, you go to the hospital and medical debt is one of the number one reasons people go bankrupt. Like just because you know, I recently had Bell's palsy episode. I went to the ER and the bill alone just to basically walk in the door for basic treatment was $7,000. And that's a pretty minor thing, but it was just to make sure they rule out like stroke and some other issues. So it, it obviously, you know, I was referred to the ER. It didn't just necessarily walk right in and know that's what I needed to do. But that just kind of shows you that that was one visit. That's $7,000. Now, I didn't have to pay that because I do have good insurance, thank God. But at the same point, it just kind of underlines your point of, hey, that's a lot of money being spent in healthcare that could be spent other places to help improve the economy and improve the health of Americans. Uh, you know, that's a crazy figure that how much national debt has bloomed up over COVID. What were some thoughts or some some things that you guys have proposed in the competition to help kind of drive that, if you will, or help minimize that?
1: I'll, I'll be turning it over to Daniel in one second because uh, our campaign is composed of two components. The first one was uh, getting students and uh, people around our campus here in Metro Detroit to register to vote, to be civically active and to be educated about, uh, you know, the politicians that are running and the issues uh, on health care that they support. And the second half of our campaign, uh, which is more in line with what the, your podcast, The Political Pharmacist, uh, talks about is educating the public and our fellow students about specific policies that affect the, ph- uh, the pharmacy profession uh, that can also uh, bring down the cost of uh, prescription medications and make uh, health care more accessible to all, especially for um, underserved populations. So uh, I'll turn things over to Daniel Frederick, because he was our special projects coordinator for the beginning of our um, campaign. And he can tell you more about that.
0: Okay, Daniel, can you elaborate?
2: Yeah. Hi, Eric. So one of the first things we did when we were starting this up to us campaign is uh, it was right around the time of pharmacy day at the Capitol. And so we were able to send some guys to attend that. And so Pharmacy Day at the Capitol PDAC uh, brought over 220 pharmacists, student pharmacists, and other medical professionals uh, for 99 state legislative meetings um, earlier in the year. Uh, Despite the need to move the annual lobby day from the Capitol lawn to the virtual platform, um, everything transferred exceptionally well. And we felt that the event was a major success. Uh, what we got to do there was we got to share stories with politicians and one of the things we talked about, which we'll get into in a little bit, is pharmacy benefit managers, PBMs. Uh, we were able to talk with politicians about that. And again, we'll get into that later, especially since there was just some recent recent uh, legislation from the Supreme Court on that. Um, aside from Pharmacy Day at the Capitol in our efforts to get out the vote, we partnered with APIA, uh, Asian Pacific Islanders in America, their get out the vote campaign we were able to send over 80,000 text messages to michigan citizens to encourage them to vote in the upcoming election and make sure that their voices are heard we knew this was such an important effort because you know voting is really how your voice uh, is heard in the country and it's really how we affect change as citizens uh, in addition to encouraging the vote we also reached out to different electors to determine their stance on health care and health care spending to inform them of the issues on hand, to get their stance and to inform the citizens then uh, and to inform ourselves about exactly who is going to be able to best represent us and have our best interests in mind.
0: Okay. And, you know, a lot of that you're talking about with a healthy economy begins with healthy citizens. What exactly were you talking to them about? What exactly were you driving? Like kind of what were the, just other than just a general discussion about it, like was there anything you guys were really pushing? You'd reference PBMs here. Was there a lot of talk around that? And what was that talk?
1: Um, Hussein here, who is our um, policy liaison, um, has most of the information when it comes to PBMs and the specific policies that we're working on. But uh, we had um, an Instagram account since our campaign is mostly digital due to uh, the lockdown here in Michigan and all across the country. So uh, we try to inform the public uh, about specific health issues, whether it was COVID-19, cancer, uh, mental health, and how these disease states translate to lost economic productivity, because obviously if you're sick and you can't go to work or you can't uh, be part of the workforce, that's uh, lost productivity and it does affect our economy. So from how much um, like, for example, mental health, how, how much that affects uh, lost days at work or medical expenditures, healthcare expenditures or even medications. We try to uh, relay that information and um, myself, I'm currently a legislative intern. For the Michigan House of Representatives with uh Representative Padma kupa here in Michigan representing House District 41. She's one of the um legislators that are part of the Michigan Prescription Drug Task Force um, that uh you know strives to bring prescription medication costs lower. And um we've been working with them um and some of the bills that uh they proposed, or that they were working on, were related to PBM regulation. And uh, I'll turn it over to Hussein, who has more information on that.
0: Okay, great. Hey, Hussein, yeah. what what do you have to add to this?
3: Yeah, Hussein. So going back to with the healthy citizens and healthy economy, a lot of our mission was to just educate patients on the importance of their own health. So big issues we have as pharmacists, is patients being adherent to their medication, uh, with a vast amount of reasons why patients aren't taking their medications either not realizing the importance of being adherent for chronic disease states like hypertension, diabetes, or not being able to afford their medications, and also educating the patients on self-care habits they can have to to help with their own health. Going more into policy, a large thing right now that's being looked at are PBMs. So interestingly, in the state of Michigan, earlier this year, we had a policy that changed the dispensing fees for pharmacies that using for their Medicaid patients. So they saw an increase from the, the dispensing fee was around, don't call me exactly that number, it around $0.80, cents. Uh, it's been raised to about $3 now. And next year, uh, it should go up to about $10. Oh, wow. A large issue. Yeah. Right. And, and a large issue we've been seeing in our pharmacies is that uh, PBMs and insurers are reimbursing pharmacies at a lower price than what they're actually paying for the drugs. and. There aren't really any regulations right now on the privatized PBMs or outside of Medicaid.
1: And even uh, I'm going to jump in here, Joseph. Here, uh, even with um, us as student pharmacists, uh, school seems to prepare us for careers in um, you know clinical pharmacy or community pharmacy. But there are other avenues, just like yourself. You're the political pharmacist here, and uh, there are other ways that uh, pharmacists can get involved, um, not just in a clinical setting, but even in a you know political or policy setting. Hussein actually hosted um, a seminar, uh, which was attended by um, over sixty people at our school in partnership with the Michigan Pharmacists Association, and uh, that was quite successful. We had the CEO, the outgoing CEO of the NPA, uh, Larry Wagenack, as well as the incoming CEO uh, and other NPA re- representatives. And Hussein hosted that one, so he, he can tell you more about that. Yes, yeah, so it's Hussein again. So perfect timing. Yesterday, the Supreme Court
3: had made a decision around the case in Arkansas. Uh, Rutledge versus PCMA, uh, the PBM lobbying group, basically. And so we were able to have a seminar. It was hosted pretty last minute, but we had great, great attendance just to kind of go over the new regulations that can be possible with PBMs. So obviously, this case just came out. So we're not exactly clear on the impacts that states can have on, on regulating these PBMs. But we do know that Now these policies are coming out, legislators are aware of some situations that are going on affecting medication costs and its impact on pharmacists. And like Joseph mentioned, we were able to have uh, an executive fellow from the MPA, the manager of governmental affairs from the MPA and the uh, incoming and outgoing CEO of the MPA were able to attend the seminar, answer some of the students' questions and address what's going on with PBMs, what happened with the stream court case, and uh, really what we can expect as, as as pharmacists.
0: Yeah, and I'm really happy that you guys as students are doing this. And obviously, Joseph, you're an intern, so it's a little bit little bit different with some of the roles you're in, obviously, here. But uh, it's one of those things that people don't realize how front and center it is because they're not seeing the bill at the counter all the time. Like They see it when they get the cash price, but they're not always seeing it because it's covered by insurances. And PBMs, legislators are have the past couple of years been kind of learning more, getting more traction as things have come out about it. But a lot of times patients have no idea about this. And even kids in school, like I don't necessarily remember when I was in school in the early to mid-2000s that – anything was really ever taught about this other than you just bill the insurance. And I'm not sure if that's like an oversight at the time and if that's changed a whole lot. But like you said, that's a huge way where ph- pharmacists and students can get involved and speak up and make sure their voice is heard because it's a very complicated process to explain the billing of pharmacy. You feel like, you know, Charlie from it's always sunny in Philadelphia with the whiteboard going crazy over there trying to explain it to everybody. <laughs> and, and it does take like a lot of time and understanding to do that. But I also think that while that works good for some of the legislators, because it's a big picture thing, when you're working with people or having discussions, like you said, with people out their medications, you really need to kind of drill it down to individual person because they don't care about the behind the scenes if it doesn't affect them. When you guys were having individual conversations, whether it was getting people to register to vote, talking about healthcare stances, things like that, how tailored were those conversations? Did you start by kind of asking them what they thought? Like how did those conversations go?
1: Well, um, for me, uh, myself, I'm the, the most freshman student here as a, as a P1 at uh, Wayne State. Uh, but uh, Daniel and Hussein are P3, so they're more knowledgeable uh, about those issues. When I came in, I really had no idea about how drug prices uh, came about. Like, why we'll are some drugs at uh, one pharmacy so expensive, and you can find another one at, like hundreds of dollars cheaper down the street? So um, I think being part of uh, you know interning for the House of Representatives and working um, for the Prescription Drug Task Force, I learned a lot of things, and uh, we were able to communicate that with our fellow students that are new to pharmacy school. Actually, the Prescription Drug Task Force has four policy levers that they were highlighting to lower drug prices, which were which are transparency, accountability, accessibility, and affordability. So during our talks with the students, we made sure to communicate this in a way that was um, easy to understand like i don't have a political background even though i'm interning at the house <laughs> of representatives um, you,
0: you, you will know, soon brought in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's, it, it's it's a, it's a lot to go through uh, i came on as uh you know to research stuff uh medical related uh but i did learn a lot through the process and um the, the whole legal ease like i was showing i was showing the other interns like my, my homework and stuff and they're like this all looks like Greek to me and i'm like this is exactly what it looks like when I have to read these uh, house bills and things like that because it's totally foreign for, uh, you know, for a first year pharmacy student with no political background. But um, uh, we made sure to use language that uh, students could understand. But earlier in the semester, at the beginning of our campaign, uh, like Daniel mentioned, uh, we reached out to different politicians, um, legislators, and uh, had conversations with them. So obviously the language was uh, a little bit different. Uh, These were held online by Zoom or Facebook Live. And um, it was talking to those um, lawmakers as well as their constituents. So uh, I think Daniel has more information on that. Go ahead, Daniel. Yes, sir. I can talk more about uh, you
2: know, the way we communicated with everybody. Going back to your question, I think you referenced the text messages. So uh, with the text messages, I want to say, we weren't really in a position to communicate anything specific. Um you know, we have to remain nonpartisan and everything like that. It was really just an effort to encourage voting. Um, so we didn't get into get we didn't get to get into uh, any specific details about the issues or anything like that. We were really just trying to get people out to vote. And as a text message, it wasn't necessarily conducive to in-depth discussions like that. Uh, but like Joseph said, when we were communicating by Zoom with legislators, our main goal was to not necessarily lay it out in excessive jargon or anything like that. Our point was to explain it to them Uh, Essentially, in the way that the citizens understand it. Like you said, the citizens don't understand, you know, what goes on behind the curtain. They don't understand how the billing works. Uh, And just a a little note here, uh, Hussein and I as P3 students, Joseph hasn't had this opportunity yet, but we had a project at Wayne State. They have us uh, design a business plan for a potential clinic that we could open based on, you know, a topic that we're assigned. And one of the hardest parts for myself and I believe for Hussein as well was coming up with the billing Um, you know, it was essentially foreign to us at that point through our first and second years. But into our third year, you know, we had some lectures on the billing. And so there was a lot of discussion amongst our groups about, you know, fee for service, uh, whether it's based on service quantity or outcomes. There were questions about how you can actually bill things, incident to billing. Um, You know, we talked about medication therapy management, chronic care management, and things like that. And that's not necessarily things that Uh, regular citizens would understand, but that is something that we made sure to convey to the politicians and things like that, because they might not be aware of that either, but they are, um, I don't want to say obligated, but they are interested in hearing about the behind the scenes because that's how it really comes to effect to the patient. So we talked about those sorts of things. We talked about how it works. We talked about you know how PBMs can interrupt that. We talked about um, how we can make it more transparent, how we can pass savings on to the patient, and we really focused on giving the politicians a patient perspective on what they understand, how they understand it, and how we can make it easier for them and you know give them better outcomes, better affordability, transparency, accessibility,, uh, like Joseph was talking about, that was the aim of our discussion,
0: okay, yeah, and you know, I think that's huge is that you. Give them the patient perspective because, quite frankly, if you go in there, there's not enough pharmacists that could walk into a, a legislative body and say, we matter and, you know, absolutely demand, you know, privilege of throwing money at us or something like that. Like you maybe could do with some. Doc- I wish it was some, that easy. Yeah, with some doctors or some people or nurses who are just, you know, way more numerous and way more like hands on. People know what they do. But when you bring that patient perspective, they now understand it because everybody's at some point in their life is going to be a patient. So we all know what it's like at some point to be on that side. Even if now we don't because we're in good health, eventually we, we will. So we just have to kind of communicate that and how it benefits them. The other interesting thing is how you said you had to explain it to them because pharmacies probably hands down one of, if not the most regulated professions and especially medical professions that there is. And unfortunately, we have people from every angle who are talking about drug prices and policies and all these other things. And so everyone's talking about politics, but we don't see that many pharmacists doing it. So I'm glad to see students like you stepping up because it's one of those things of, hey, we need to make sure we have a voice at the table because this is literally our table. And that's a a point where we need to be there talking about it because so many times other people don't understand or don't see, like you said, behind the curtain or in our case, behind the counter. And we need to be able to explain that side of it. And once we start doing that, people start going, oh, and every time I've been in a room with someone like that, once they realize you understand it and you can see things from their perspective a little bit, the patient perspective a little bit, but also bring this like third angle to it, they all of a sudden start listening to you so much more. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. And that's where you become the expert in the room. Now, you're not going to tell them what to do, but you can definitely influence it a little bit by just sharing your knowledge. And I don't, like you said, I look at pharmacy as a very bipartisan thing. And I don't think that this is like I'm going to pick a side either which way when it comes to pharmacy stuff. I look at it from the patient perspective and what's in the best interest for everybody and how I can save money in doing that, which is like a, gr- a great way of why you guys tie in the national debt with this because you're looking at government spending and everything else and outcomes and you know the transparency, accessibility, affordability, all that type of stuff is just so huge here so that people can really understand what you're trying to do. So if you can check off all those things and it proves every one of them, Why the hell wouldn't you enact something like that? Then it just makes sense. And again, most pharmacists aren't political. It's We went to a very clinically oriented program that they really don't teach us all about politics other than to study the law book. And most pharmacists honestly don't like studying the law part because it's so dry and so gray and so confusing Uh compared to when you have, you know, try to treat uh, myocardial infarction and it's a standard set of orders and operations of how you do that to make sure they get the best quality outcome. So very different. So what else do you guys kind of see or have thought about with this that has really been effective that helped you guys kind of win these competitions?
1: Well, you know, I just want to jump in here because, you know, we're talking about the whole uh, bipartisan um, factor of being a pharmacist. And that's also, uh, we had to be bipartisan for our up to us competition. And uh, you know, people, especially with the recent elections, people talking about the Republican this versus Democrat that. um, A a 2019 survey from the Pew Research Center found that Americans across both political parties agree that the government should prioritize providing high-quality, affordable health care to all. And uh, we wanted to, you know, incorporate incorporate that into our campaign and get students more involved. Because it was actually easy to, you know, to reach out easier than expected to reach out to these, uh, um, you know, lawmakers. Uh, for the prescription drug task force, you know, we sat in on the meetings, which were held on, um, you know, Microsoft Teams. They're open to the public. People could ask their questions and state their, um, you know, bring, um, you know, their arguments to the table. So, you know, present we had uh, Governor Whitmer uh, was there, Senator Winnie Brinks, Senator Kurt Vanderwall, uh, Representative Angela Whitmore. Uh, Representative Hank Fopel and Representative Pat Kuba, as well as other people that were on the task force to help design this policy, like the MDHHS uh, director, director of DIFS, and the Laura director here in Michigan. We also came up with a, a, a letter writing campaign that we're wrapping up today, which uh, Hussein, our uh, policy liaison, uh, has been working on.
3: Yeah, it's Hussein again. So a lot of, you were asking about the competition. So a lot of what the competition is, is based on is outreach. So Daniel mentioned earlier, we attended PDAC and had sent a couple of people to talk to legislators over Zoom this year, but we're wrapping up now a letter writing campaign. Where basically we, we're basically, we're having each other and other students uh, think of specific topics in legislator to reach out to various legislature, legislators and representatives. You know, a big topic for us that we already mentioned are, is all the PBMs. So in, in one of the letters that I know that we worked on addressed the Supreme Court decision Uh, what PBMs do and and the impact that PBMs are having on medication costs. So the the, the letter is fairly generic and just provides information, of course, it's non-bipartisan. But we're we're leading this campaign to send out as many letters as we possibly can um, and just reaching our goals of outreach. Yeah,
1: because students students or people of any age can be uh, participative in the um, democratic process here and, uh, reaching out to, to legislators. So they do want to hear from their constituent uh, constituents. So whether you're uh, a pharmacy student, you know, uh, a senior citizen, a stay at home, mom or dad, or whatnot. Uh, there are ways that, uh, you can reach out to these lawmakers and, uh, effect change. So uh, that's one of the major goals of our up to us campaign is that, you know, um, you may not think that you know much about the national debt, but the national debt affects so many different, uh, you know, pillars in our our, our community and uh, in government spending. And whether it's registering to vote and being informed and voting for those uh, possible lawmakers that have your interests in mind, or taking a more active role by having these letter-writing campaigns, calling, um, you know, lawmakers and uh, educating others about uh, key issues that are that are um, affecting the country everyone can take a part in uh, what we're trying to do
0: so just so people if they want to maybe at their school if their students listening and want to start something like this where can they find this like up to us like program competition stuff well if they want to
1: um, find out more information about up to us the website is uh, it's up to us.org or they can reach out to us uh, directly and we can get them um, signed up uh, as well. You can they can slide into our DMs on our Instagram. <laughs> our uh, our Instagram handle is up to D, So that's u p t o p h a r m d. Look us up on Instagram. Send us a message, and uh, we can get you signed up. Uh, as long as your school does not have uh, a team represented already, uh, you can join. It's it's a really great process. Before the pandemic, they actually send uh, winning teams to uh, Washington D.C. Um, in, in undergrad. Um, at Open University, our team uh, was the national winner. This is before the, the pandemic, and we got sent to um, we got sent to Congress and got to meet with senators and um, other politicians. We met with representatives from different government agencies. Um, as we were uh, the winning campaign, we received scholarship money as well. Um, up to us, provide you with money to hold these campaigns on campus or virtually. Hussein and I uh, received a scholarship. A Harvard Business School program for uh, Hussein and I took um, what was the name of the course? Business, business analytics. Business analytics, and I also completed uh, a graduate certificate in sustainable business strategy. So by joining the Up to competition, there are plenty of uh, opportunities and benefits uh, that you can gain from joining the competition. So it's more than just a note on your on your CV. Uh, they give you the resources to network, to connect, and to make um, um, effectual change that. That will help your community
0: and listeners. I'll make sure to put as much of this as I can in the show notes, so that, that way you guys can just when you're listening, click it or copy and paste it into whatever you know uh, platform you need to do to search for it. So that way they can find everything that you guys are doing there. Now, before I wrap up, there's two questions I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Since there's three of you, I'm just gonna ask one person answer each question, just so we're not here for another half an hour. Uh, if you could change one thing about pharmacy, what would it be?
3: So, uh, so I'll take this one. So it's again, the biggest thing for me what I'd like to see a change of pharmacy and we're kind of already going in this direction is getting the pharmacy, the pharmacist from behind the counter. You know, nowadays, often people, when you tell them you're in pharmacy school, they just ask you, Oh, are you going to be working at this grocery store or CVS? But really as students, we know that there are plenty of routes you can take as a pharmacist, not just being behind the counter, um, applying the clinical skills that we're learning in school, something like this, getting involved in policy. Uh, so there's there's a lot of uh, outlets that pharmacists can take. And I just hope the public can understand those and realize the the education that pharmacists get, the clinical knowledge that we can that we have and, and really the impact that we can
1: have on their health. I'm going to riff off what uh was saying. Uh uh, jump in and, and uh, add to what Hussein, uh said. This is Joseph here. If uh, there was one thing that we could change about pharmacy, I think it would be to uplift the profession because uh, even before starting pharmacy school, people would always tell me, oh, you, you know, pharmacists are, are just pill pushers. Uh, even, you know, when you go to these big chain community pharmacies, uh, people are yelling at the that they, they think that the work is so quick and easy. Uh, what I would like to see change is elevating, how people see pharmacists, that, uh, you know, we don't just dispense drugs, but uh, there are so many other things that we do. We are the most accessible healthcare professional, and uh, we play a big role in keeping our citizens, you know, healthy and informed. So that's what I would like to see.
0: Okay. And the thing I like about that you guys hit on is it goes right with the theme of this podcast is it's up to us to do that. Like we don't have to rely on anybody else. Us as pharmacists and pharmacy students can, can make that change, which is awesome. If there was one pharmacy law, federal or state, that you could change, what would it be and why?
2: I can jump in on this one. This is Daniel. I don't have a specific law in mind. But the first thing that comes to mind is uh, with the opioid epidemic we're facing, I know it's getting a lot of attention uh, as of recently, um, as it should. It's a very big problem. Uh, But just more broadly, the laws about abusable drugs and things like that, um, I think need a little bit more attention than they're getting. Uh, we just saw there was, uh, there's uh, court cases going on against uh, the manufacturers of OxyContin um, and how they contributed to the opioid epidemic and things like that. And then I believe there was an APHA meeting uh, just yesterday where they had mentioned um, other drugs of abuse such as benzodiazepines and things like that. And I think um, addiction is such a powerful detriment to your life and it can cause so many issues. And you know, the public's not really informed about this. And, you know, they just get their prescriptions from the doctor and they fill them at the pharmacy. And they don't really think too much about the problem that it can cause for them or dependency or things like that. So I don't have a specific law, but I think, you know, the general concept of regulating uh, abusable drugs and things like that um, is something that I'd like to see more focus on. Yeah.
0: So the series of laws around the scheduling of controlled substances. Gotcha. That's That's a serious undertaking, but it's also, like you said, it's all the more important. And that's really been the eye of pharmacy for a long time. Just be whether it's like you said with the opioid epidemic and we saw, uh, Dan Schneider with the Netflix special really, really highlight the, that with his work and his tunnel of hope project. He's mm-hmm. pushing forward here, which I've referenced a few times on the podcast, but I think rightfully so. Cause it's, it's literally in our, it, it's not just in our alley. It is our alley for when it comes to that, that topic. So, Hey, uh, again, thank you guys for coming on here. Uh, Joseph, Daniel and Hussein, you guys are awesome. Keep up the good work. I know some of you guys have a few more years left, so hopefully you guys can affect a little more change up there. in the, uh, the state, of, the state that should not be named since I'm from Ohio. Oh my! God. <laughs> we won't hold
1: that against you. We won't hold that against you. Man.
0: All right. So hey, you All guys, right, thanks for thank coming on. So the- much, yeah,
1: thank you so much for, for having us. Uh, on behalf of Wayne State's uh, Eugene Applebaum College of Health, Pharmacy and Health Sciences, interrupt to us team. Uh, we want to thank the political pharmacist uh, for having us today. And uh, keep in mind, a healthy economy begins with healthy citizens.
0: Yes. And always listeners, share the heck out of this. I think this is something students and even younger pharmacists would love to hear. And as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.